We wanted to take a moment before this week's episode begins and talk about the passing of Richard Hatch, which occurred this past week. Um, He passed away from pancreatic cancer at the age of 71. And of course, you'll remember he was a guest on Trek Geeks. And um, Dan, it's certainly probably one of the... uh, the early highlights for our podcast because we were definitely still in our infancy. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, uh, I've always had the pleasure of trying to reach out to folks to come on the show since we started over two years ago. And and Richard was one of the first people that actually responded back to my uh, request to have him on the show. I, I found his handle on Twitter and, and sent him a message and, and he responded right back and we got everything set up. And, and uh, we were very lucky back on March 29th to drop episode eight, which was our discussion with Richard Hatch uh, about his uh, performance in Prelude to Axanar. Um, as Karn the Undying, what a wonderful conversation it was. He is just, he was just such a wonderful person to talk to. He loved his craft. Um, so many people remember him as Apollo from Battlestar Galactica and then as Tom Zarek when Battlestar Galactica was rebooted, uh, later in, uh, gosh, what was it? The 1990, late 90s, early 2000s. I don't, I don't even remember as I, as I think of it off the top of my head, but, uh, been in so many great things over the years and, and it just was such a, a shock and, uh, a sorrowful moment last week when we heard that he had passed. You know, Dan, one of the things I'll always remember was when we were Skyping with him to do that interview, is that on the wall in his home behind him hung a print of the Starship Enterprise, and we asked him about it. And uh, he could not wait to tell us how much of a Trekkie he was and how much he loved the original series. It was great. You know, in that moment, he was he was a fan. He was one of us. Mm-hmm. And he was a joy to talk to, even if we didn't necessarily get a word in edgewise for <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that I always love talking about that episode is is uh, we did the introduction for him. And, and I think the first question we asked was something about Battlestar Galactica. And it literally was 18 minutes before you or I said another word. And it didn't matter because we were just sitting there taking it all in. He was he, and he 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 totally loved talking about his love of the work that he had done. So that why it was one of the reasons it was such a joy to talk to him. You know, he. He was among the first guests on this podcast. He he didn't have to email us back, but he did. I will always remember his kindness and how generous he was with his time um, because he didn't have to come on the show of a couple of guys that nobody knew. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think that's probably one of the things that I'll always take away was that he he was the kind of, of celebrity that you hope celebrities are. You know, he was he was definitely he was interested in us hmm. and why we started a podcast and who we were. And I think that, that was equally as exciting as just getting the chance to talk a little Star Trek with him. But um I, you know, it's it's sad that uh, that he was gone so suddenly. Um but I can honestly say that his heart and his spirit were just ageless. They really were. I agree. And uh so say we all. Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Karn the Undying, and XNR, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Tuning in will bring victory to the Klingon Empire. So say we all.
in a menagerie, a cage. The biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome everyone to Trek Geeks. Thank you so much for downloading and for listening to us and taking an hour out of your day to spend some time with a couple of guys who watch way too much Star Trek. I'm your co-host Bill Smith and joining me as he does this time every single episode. He is fresh off his post-Super Bowl glow. He may or may not have stolen Tom Brady's Super Bowl 51 jersey right out of the locker room. He's the ninja like Dan Davidson, and by the time you see him, it's honestly too late. Hey, buddy, how are you? Shh. Don't. I cannot be happier to be here. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this podcast for once. No, that's true. That's true. How are you, man? I'm doing great, buddy. How you been? I've been fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic. And even more fantastic because we are recording a new episode of the Trek Geeks podcast. That's pretty we awesome. Are. We are, which will drop on Valentine's Day here oh, in the U.S. You're my pal. I just want you to know how much I love you, buddy. All right. Well, the feeling is almost the same. No, it's not even close. No, it's not <laughs> even close. <laughs> and uh, you got any big plans for Valentine's Day? I can't say anything. She's right downstairs. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, so no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Won't be that way. <laughs> How about you? Um, no, not really. I mean, we I sent my wife flowers already, which she got today, um, because I wanted her to get them before everybody else in her office. Mm-hmm. hey There you go. Points for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's during the week, so, I mean, we may do something on the weekend, but... Yeah. You know, we, well, we're not we're not you know the kind of people who feel like we have to do something on Valentine's Day because we do stuff all year round. Right. Well, that's true. That's a good point. Next week, remind yourself to ask me what she thought of the gift I got her. I don't want to say anything right now, but she will have received it by the next recording, and it's kind of special. I think it's kind of cool, and uh, maybe our our Disney fans will like it. Well, in that case, maybe people will email us or tweet us to remind us. And Dan, how might they do that? Well, there's a whole bunch of ways, Bill, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. And now on Instagram, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. Or you can call us at 508-784-1701. Leave us a voicemail there. Or go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a voice message as well. Also, you can go over to Facebook and join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Always great discussion going on there. Go on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. We will let you write in and you can partake in the fun. And you'll also get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. And that's kind of a special thing. But... Please remember that any comments or messages that you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Well, thank you, Mr. William Shatner-esque. That was fantastic. Great job, Dan, as always, buddy. Thank you. What was that? Uh, (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're just preparing for our next segment, which we'll get to right after this. It's just into the newsroom, Dan. It's time for the news from treknews.net. 
I was, I was waiting for you to blow out a vocal cord. So let's uh, let's try to stick to news themes. Oh, sorry. Just this one special time. I thought it was appropriate. You're killing me. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from TrekNews.net, of course, from our friends at TrekNews.net. And they are online, believe it or not, at TrekNews.net. Dan, bunch of Discovery stuff going on. Um, first and foremost, filming has begun. This has huh. been confirmed multiple times over. And there's a little bit of a teaser trailer. Yes, the uh, official CBS Star Trek Discovery site posted a, about a minute-long teaser with behind-the-scenes footage of Discovery, and there was some awesome, awesome stuff. And TrekNews.net has a great breakdown of every single frame of that teaser trailer. A lot of cool pictures. There's some uh, uniforms. There's some ships. There's some special effects, a new logo. Really, really cool stuff, and it just gets you more and more excited for uh, when Discovery comes out, whenever that's going to be. That's right. Whenever that's going to be, um, I the more I hear, the more excited I get. But um, there are some people, Dan, who are decidedly not excited, of course, and we could probably figure out who those people are pretty quickly, because there was a photo that was leaked over the weekend that allegedly shows some familiar but not so familiar aliens. Yes, somebody uh, who's probably in a lot of trouble, I would have to think, uh, decided to take a picture and posted it of what looks like or what is said to be Klingons uh, on set of Star Trek Discovery. Now, I personally don't think they're Klingons, but we'll find out, uh, and I'm sure we can discuss that as we go along. But uh, uh, an interesting picture to say the least, don't you think? Oh, I agree with you 100%. I, I think they very well could be Klingons. Um, but I think they could very easily be another race that we have know nothing about yet. So it's uh, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, to me, they kind of looked a little Zindi-ish. Yeah, they did. the uh, The uniforms didn't really look Klingon armor that we're used to. The makeup looked a little different. But you know, who knows? It could have been not complete makeup. You never know. Of course, with these leaked photos, they get taken out so quickly, and and we'll see what happens. But uh, I I kind of hope that. They're not Klingons based on what I'm seeing because it just looks a little odd, but time will tell. You know, if they are Klingons, I'm sure I'll get used to it. Well, here's the thing I kind of hope they are Klingons. And I say that because plenty of alien races have changed right before our eyes in Star Trek and we've never complained about it. You know, the Romulans mysteriously developed head ridges. Mm hmm. You know, the Andorians have changed their look multiple times. The Bolians look different every time you see them. You know, uh, all kinds of Tellarites. Tellarites changed even within TOS. So, you know, if they are Klingons, I think it's great because you know, this is a 50-year-old franchise, and then, honestly, they could use an update so they don't look, as I am fond of saying, yes. like a heavy metal tribute band. Yes, I do remember you also saying something along the lines of this kind of has the JJ look to it a little bit, which I can certainly see. I think we both really liked what the Klingons looked like in Into Darkness. So if they are Klingons, if that's kind of the way they're going, well, we'll see what happens. We sure will. And Dan, announced just tonight, just before we started recording, there are three brand new Starfleet officers beaming into Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, this was you You sent me this link right before we went on the air, so I'm really going to screw up the names, I'll bet, because they're not the easiest names in the world. But, uh, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm going to go with the easiest one first. Terry Serpico is going to play Admiral Anderson, who is a high-ranking Starfleet official. Uh, Malik Pancholi is going to be on board as Dr. Nambue. The chief medical officer of the starship Shenzhou. That's, I don't know how I did with that one, but you did pretty good, I think. All right, and Sam Vartholomeos 
is going to be landing the role of Ensign Connor, who is a junior officer in Starfleet Academy, assigned to the starship Shenzhou. So we've seen a lot of people on the Shenzhou, I think. Not a whole lot on Discovery as of yet. No, that's true. It makes me wonder how long these characters may be around. Um, we, we honestly don't know. And I guess um, I'm excited by all three. Uh, you know, Terry Serpico had a great recurring role on Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. You know, the entire run of the series. Some people have mentioned he had a great role in Army Wives, which I never watched, but I can believe because he does a great job. Um, I've seen, you know, Malik in Weeds and in Hitch and in 30 Rock, and he's he's done a lot of comedy, so this will be a nice change to see him in a role where he's probably not all that comedic. Sure. And um, I've never seen Sam Bartholomeos in anything but the following, and I didn't remember he was in that. So oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what they may do with this junior officer. So I think that's pretty exciting. It is very exciting. Also, what's cool, if you go to Star, um, to um, treknews.net uh, and then click on the link, it'll take you over to StarTrek.com, actually. The the animated uh, image that they have for the announcement of these three new actors assigned to Discovery has a great new Star Trek Discovery kind of flash in at the end. And the emblem, the Delta Shield, looks really, really cool. So check it out. It's very, very cool. Excellent. Well, Dan, moving along, we also had some pretty big news in the crowdfunding arena this week. The uh, the Deep Space Nine documentary kicked off, and uh, all I can say is, wow. Wow is right. Yeah, we were very excited to see that they were going to be kicking off this campaign. Uh, you and I received an early email the night before it went live, and you and I went on and saw that they had uh, raised about uh, $127 that first night before it went live, and they were yeah. looking for just under $150,000. And, well, gosh darn, if they didn't get that 150000 in less than 24 hours, uh, and as we record today, they are already over – $250,000 and have reached their first stretch goal already. And that just tells you how awesome the Deep Space Nine fans are and how much we love this series. I think that reaching that first stretch goal is exciting because it um, takes the movie from 60 minutes to full 90 minutes, which mm-hmm. I think is going to be amazing. They've got more stretch goals to go. Um, the campaign's still running for another 27 days. <laughs> yes. You know, This has only been going for a couple of days now. But, uh, it, I mean, it's spearheaded by people that, that we know and love, Dan. Yeah, um, Ira Stephen Bear is is the principal behind this. Um, it is being directed by someone that you're familiar with, and everybody in Trectum loves, and that's Adam Nimoy. Of course, he did the For the Love of Spock documentary last year, and he has taken on the directing reins for this as well, which is just phenomenal. And if you go to the Indiegogo page and look at all the people that are involved, just about all of the cast, and I mean all of the cast, is involved in this in one way or another. The only one, unfortunately, that we don't see involved is Avery Brooks, and you and I are speculating it may be because of the health issues we've heard he's been having. Well, and we can't confirm or deny those health issues, so we should say that off the bat. I mean, that's all speculation and rumor. Exactly. But it it makes me wonder if there's something to that. I mean, you know, for something like this, I mean, Avery has done other documentaries, like Mm -hmm. Shatner's The Captains. True. You know, and produced by the same company. And it makes me wonder if, if either... There's a reason he doesn't want to do it that has nothing to do with the rest of the cast because they all love him. Or perhaps there is something else that we're not aware of. And I'm curious as to whether or not they call that out in the movie. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do. I hope they do. I really hope everything's good. Uh, we've talked about it. We unfortunately uh, had planned on meeting him and, and getting autographs with him in Boston a couple of years ago, and unfortunately he canceled then. Um, and then, of course, he hadn't been in Vegas either. So we really hope that it's it's not something uh too bad and um but we're still very excited about this campaign it's awesome the money keeps coming in there's already been over 3000 plus backers for the for the documentary so it's just amazing to see it's nice to see people with an actual track record creating content <laughs> hmm. doing well in this kickstarter honestly That's, you know what i mean it after, i know exactly what you mean i think it's great well dan moving on to our last story speaking of star trek las vegas it looks like a Big name is going to make it this year for TNG 30. Yeah, this is good news, and it pretty much uh, just gets everybody there. So uh, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, has been confirmed uh, for Vegas this coming August for the 30th anniversary of The Next Generation. I am just ecstatic about this, and and the only thing I can say, Bill, is cast photo, please? (laughs) Can you imagine how much that thing is going to cost? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And since Will Wheaton probably isn't going to be there because he hasn't been to creation uh, conventions very often, I'm thinking I'm going to wear my Will Wheaton sweater. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that wearing sweaters in in STLV is the sole domain of of one Robert Reyes, but that's a story (laughs) for another time. That's true. Um, You know, I'm wondering how much that that full cast photo opportunity is going to be. And I'm concerned it's going to be, I mean, I have nothing to base this on, but I'm concerned it's going to be like a thousand bucks. Oh, really? You think it's going to be that high? Well, if they had to raise the prices $85 for general admission overnight to announce Sir Patrick, which, and that's the only thing that I can think that is the the reason behind that, it makes me wonder how much that photo op is going to be because Sir Patrick's going to command the largest dollar amount. That's true. Well, if it's that high, I can probably say that I will not be getting a cast photo. (laughs) I will Photoshop myself into one. Um, unless we do it together. <laughs> well, they, oh, well, oh, all right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. What a nice gift. Because you can have... <laughs> <laughs> I think I've made a serious mistake. got a big topic this week. It's not often we talk about two-part episodes, but we're going to cross that bridge today as we talk about the season five cliffhanger season six season premiere for a Star Trek Voyager. Of course, that's Equinox. Yeah, this was uh, when we were discussing what we wanted to do for upcoming episodes. This was listed and I was like, huh, we're going to talk about that? Because my recollection of it was not that great. But as we have done so many times, when you rewatch something, you have a different view on it. So I am looking forward to the conversation. Uh, you and me both. I um, I've sat, there, I've watched it twice um, over the the weekend, and um, well, we're going to talk about it a lot. But um, let's let's kind of high level overview the two parts of the episode. Um, so. The Voyager, well, at first in the beginning of the episode, we see a different Federation starship and they're being attacked by some kind of weird aliens. Yep. Uh, a lot of uh, damage going on the ship. Uh, 
There's a lot of smoke and, and creatures come flying in through what appears to be other dimensions. Touch some guy and he turns into a mummy. Boom. Fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> Episode over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we find out that there is actually another starship in the Delta Quadrant, the USS Equinox, uh, captained by uh, Captain Ransom. Uh, is the gentleman's name. Very well played by John Savage, in my opinion. Um, turns out that these aliens that they are trying to uh, stay away from or not get killed by, when they die, their body parts can be turned into like a uh, turbo for the warp engine. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> a turbo. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> turbo. Kit super pursuit mode. Uh, <laughs> I... um. Yeah, and we we you know, we learn that that they're doing bad things, and Janeway takes it upon herself uh, to to stop ransom at, at all costs, and some stuff happens, and that's kind of like the high level. I mean, obviously Voyager goes on because they're in the Delta Quadrant for a couple more seasons. True, but um, I thought it it presented an interesting challenge for the crew of the Starship Voyager. Um, we probably should talk first about the characters we meet on the Equinox. So you mentioned Captain Ransom. He commands a, a planetary survey ship, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's only got a crew of about 78. Mm-hmm. It's like these ships are getting smaller and smaller after next gen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's the Defiant. That's not very big. There's the Voyager, which has only got a couple hundred people aboard it. And now there's this one, which may as well be the Chevy Chevette of Starships. <laughs> Looks pretty it's damn cool, cool, though. I know. I, I thought as a bigger ship, that would look pretty kick-ass. Yeah. But you know we've got uh, we've got Captain Ransom who who definitely seems like a different breed of starship captain and uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more in a bit. There's his first officer Max. Oh yes, last name I forget, played by Titus Welliver, Burke. one of my favorite. Burke, thank you, Commander Burke, who's who's so great. Titus Welliver and and uh, a lot of stuff. One of my favorite actors. Yeah. There's um, uh, Lessig. Uh, yes, science- Ka- crewman Noah Lessing. Yep. That's right, Lessing, sorry. Yep. And uh, there's the engineering ensign whose name escapes me at the moment. Maria Gilmore. Gilmore. Yes, claustrophobic. <laughs> yes. And and they're sort of part of this grand conspiracy that we don't find out about until you know later on in the episode. Um, before we get to what we liked and what we didn't, what was your impression when you met these characters the first time? Well, anytime that you have the guy who played the smoke monster on Lost in an episode of Voyager, it's going to be a good thing. So I was very happy to see uh, Titus playing uh, uh, Commander Burke, um, the Equinox. He was very sure of himself. The whole backstory with Bellana and being boyfriend-girlfriend at the Academy was interesting. I thought it was very interesting that also Ensign Gilmore had some very serious claustrophobia issues, um, probably brought on by the attack of the aliens. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and I thought that uh, Crewman Lessing was very well played. I was really kind of bummed out that we didn't get to see more of him in the se- in the series because um, – uh, he and at least uh, one other one, uh, Ensign Gilmore, stayed on Voyager after the uh, um, end of the Equinox episode. I thought all, f- all of them were very interesting um, characters that, for only being in one or two episodes with a two-part episode, they had a lot of depth, I thought. Oh, I think so, too. In fact, I love Rick Worthy. He's appeared in, you know, so many things and even multiple, you know, incarnations of Star Trek. 
Um, he was supposed to be attached to that Star Trek progeny fan film that we talked about a long time oh, ago. Okay. <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he was in, he was an enterprise, um, for about 10 episodes. He, he did these episodes of Voyager. Um, he was also the prototype in the episode prototype for Voyager. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, uh, he was an insurrection, a small role. So he's done. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he was episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, playing a, I think a Klingon, if memory serves. Okay. So, but uh, a fantastic actor. I thought that they made some really great casting choices for this crew, and each of them, if if they were just Starfleet officers, would have been entirely likable. I agree. I also um, uh, we mentioned it very briefly at the beginning. I thought uh, John Savage as as Captain Ransom was was spectacular. I I, I loved the I loved the um, passion that he brought to the role. And even though uh, there's two sides to the debate of where you stand with what he was doing, I thought that he had that inner turmoil, um, and he did a great job in expressing. Uh, what he really thought, especially to Janeway in those very, very pivotal scenes. I have to agree with you. Uh, he, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when I saw this other crew because, you know, it's like, well, hey, let's introduce another crew that came to the Delta Quadrant from the caretaker. And you uh, know, I thought they tried to tell a compelling story. And as now as we get into the what we like and what we didn't like, I'm not sure they achieved that entirely. We may disagree on that later. So, Dan, give me a couple of elements of things you really, really liked about this episode. I like the Equinox. I, uh, as we mentioned, I, re- I really like the look of it. It's a sexy little ship. I think, is it Nova class, I believe? I'm not 100% yes. sure. Um, yes. Really, really nice ship. Um, I, uh, it's kind of hard to get into the what I like without getting into the what I didn't like. I'll do my best not to, but, uh, um, I you like can mix it up if you want. That's fine. all right. I, I, I like the Equinox. I did not like that all of a sudden there was another starship in the Delta Quadrant that got there from the caretaker and we had never known about it before. I just, I didn't like how that was very convenient that it happened. Um, granted, you can say, okay, well, if the caretaker brought them there and Starfleet didn't know where they were sent, then how would we know? But still, it just seemed very convenient that an entire quadrant of space, all of a sudden, this other starship shows up right around the vicinity of where Voyager is. So that was a little, eh, I didn't, I didn't care for that too much. And if, you know, if the, if the Equinox had turboed to where it was. <laughs> turboed. <laughs> Turbo boost. <laughs> I like a picture is Hasselhoff punching that red button. Um, <laughs> hashtag Hasselhoff. Um, I, I thought it was. I guess I'm not so sure the Voyager really would have caught up to them, even with the the bump in the journey that Kess gave them. Yes, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, that that's a very good point. I didn't really think of the time difference of when they arrived and getting home to when they met up with Voyager. So that's a very very good point. And honestly, why wouldn't the caretaker have said, oh, yeah, hey, bye. Uh, by the way, you may see other of your kind in this quadrant because we kind of grabbed them too. That's what I was thinking because uh, just the other night we've talked about H&I now. Uh, I'm watching Voyager at night and and they just started the series over a couple nights ago. And I'm sitting there watching Caretaker the other night and I'm like, okay, they never mentioned that there's been another ship that's been transported here. So, of course, you know, retcon and all that. But um yeah, very good point. The one of the other things that I liked and disliked at the same time was the idea of these um uh aliens or spirits as the Ankari called them coming through. They really just reminded me of a really bad slimer from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rabid slimer. 
<laughs> Hashtag Slimer. <laughs> Hashtag Rabbit Slimer. Rabbit Slimer. <laughs> I have to agree with that. I mean, I, I understand that the CGI technology was less developed, uh, less capable than it is today. I, I totally understand that. I understand there were limitations, but I, I'd never really feared these aliens. Mm-hmm. And plus, uh, I don't want to get too deep into what we didn't like, because I, I still want to talk about what we liked to some extent. But uh, I'll talk more about the Ankari in, in a bit, or, or the, the, raise, the aliens that the Ankari brought up, whichever one they are. Yeah. Um, uh, going back to what we like, I have to say that I really liked the conflict in this episode, because there's multiple levels of it. Oh, there's, is, yeah. Yep. There's Janeway and Ransom. There's Janeway and Chakotay. There's Janeway and Tuvok. There's Burke and Taurus. <laughs> there's there's a whole lot of conflict going on. There's Doctor and Doctor. For God's no, sake. I was just gonna say that you beat me to it. <laughs> um, I think that there was some really great conflict in this episode, and I think that that's something that Voyager got away from from what it used to do earlier when we had the whole Maquis versus Starfleet thing. I agree. I thought that the tenseness of this episode is what made it so enjoyable after watching it again for the first time in a while. You don't expect something like this. Um, you you can expect it on Deep Space Nine, especially with the Dominion War and everything going on there. But on Voyager, you've never really come across this kind of tense atmosphere on the ship. Sure, they could be fighting, you know, the Kazon or whatever the heck they want to fight that week. But but this was very palpable on the ship and you could see it in the faces like Janeway and Chakotay. Those scenes were really, really tense. And I thought it played out very well and made the episode much more um, important in the scope of the entire series. I think so too. Um, Even if, yeah, I I don't want to telegraph all the way to the end, but even if I'm not as big a fan of part two of this, this group of episodes as I am of part one, I think part one is a really solid episode with a poor cliffhanger mm-hmm. and part two doesn't necessarily resolve it the way I wish it had. Um, I, I don't think part two is very good at all, quite honestly. Okay. I was, I was, when I, when, when we got ready to, to discuss this and of course we watch it again, like we always do. And we're going to talk about specific episodes. I remember thinking to myself, I did not like Equinox when it was on. I was very disappointed with it. I was not disappointed with it this time. And I actually, liked the second episode a lot more than I remember liking it before for the reasons that we've already discussed, the the tension, the obsession, um, and how things played out. I was very impressed with how it actually uh, came to an end. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to paint it as though I hated it because I didn't. I mean, ultimately, like you, I enjoyed it more than the first time I watched it back in whatever the heck year it premiered. But I think because I appreciated the the character moments and the performances behind them more than I probably would have back then, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about the cliffhanger for a little bit because I think that ever since the best of both worlds, every cliffhanger has kind of fallen flat. And of all of the cliffhangers in Star Trek, for me, this one is my least favorite. I have to agree with that. Um, because, you know, at, uh, for those who don't remember or haven't watched the episode in a while, you know, the, um, the Equinox is, is breaking away. The Voyager shields are impacted. There's some more of these spatial ruptures opening up where these nucleogenic aliens are coming through. And 
you know, they're, they're using their phasers and the phaser rifles to fend them off. And there's one that opens up behind Janeway and you see the alien coming at her and Chakotay, you know, essentially tries to warn her. The next thing you see is the alien's perspective as it rushes toward Janeway and it goes to be continued. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. earlier in, in the episode, we saw those aliens just, like you said, mummify somebody almost on contact. I, in, in part two... <laughs> of Equinox, both Janeway and Chakotay, you know, have contact with these aliens, yeah. and they have some very superficial injuries. <laughs> that is the one part of this episode that I cannot forgive in how it was done, and I'm glad you brought it up. It, it, they just get brushed by uh, a crewman just gets brushed by it on Equinox, and it's it's yeah. Mummy City for him. And, but somehow Janeway and Chakotay just have little little scars on their cheeks. That is, I'm sorry. I don't care what else is going on in the episode. That was a huge mistake, in my opinion, on how the story was told. The other part that I wanted to bring up in regards to what you just talked about was that cliffhanger. You see, you ever see Misery with Kathy Bates? Um, a long time ago, yeah. Okay, and he's she's talking to the to um the guy about when she was a kid she was at the movie theater or, and and something would happen and it was a cliffhanger and the and the car went over the edge or something like that and then it went out fade to black and then the next weekend she went to the movie theater and they had actually gotten out of the car and she was freaking out because that's not what happened this is the same thing that creature was 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 coming at Janeway full speed when it went fade to black but then all of a sudden when we come back in the next season opener it just barely brushes up against her that doesn't hold water for me. I did not care for that at all. Especially since we see Burke die in about two seconds. Yeah, yeah. Toward the end of, of the second part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to things that I really liked, um, I have to say I liked the evil doctor. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. <laughs> I oh. mean, because it almost had this mirror universe quality to it. Yeah. Um, you know, they deleted his ethical subroutines. I didn't like the Voyager doctor with the ethical subroutines deleted because I just, I, I was like, all right, enough with the singing. Exactly. I was going to say the the evil doctor on Equinox, you take away his subroutines and he's evil. You take away our doctor and he just becomes an opera singer or 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 duet singer with Seven of Nine, which is what they seem to always do in the later seasons anyway. Yeah. I you know, there's a there's an element to these episodes that you know that, that sort of evokes memories of you know, Nazi Germany in the 1940s and the experimentation they would do. Mhm. And I think it it treads a very fine line without trying to be too bonk bonk over the head, <laughs> but to create a storyline that is believable in the sense where they killed these aliens just to make their journey shorter. And behind that were, you know, the crew, but also the doctor, because he had to figure some of this stuff out and help them implement it. Right. So, you know, there are some, some really dark, devious things going on on this starship. And honestly, I got to say, I I found that storyline alone to be incredibly compelling. I wish this had been a longer arc. Yeah. You know, so that you could discover some of this stuff. Like maybe these two ships are together for a series of five or six episodes Mm -hmm. and you learn this stuff slowly. But I thought it was rushed way too much because there was such a meaty story here for Voyager that I think they they could have gotten a lot more out of it and it could have been a whole lot more impactful on the Voyager crew itself. You would have thought that they would have done such a good job with the Zindi arc on enterprise as they could have done with this one in the five part arc on Voyager. 
Yeah. And I say that I say that tongue in cheek, but I, I'm serious. I mean, they like you said, I totally agree with you. They could have done a great job with a five or six episode arc of this, and it's too bad that the Zindi arc wasn't as meaty on Enterprise because it probably would have saved the series. But I totally agree with you. It's very, very, uh, it's a very, very good point. Um, one of the things that I was going to say um, that I found, mm, I don't know what the best way to, I don't know the way to describe it is. I found humorous, but at the same time, it was played on a little bit too much. Was the relationship between Burke and Torres in the at the academy? The whole BLT thing, which I did find humorous. The BLT, and then Harry called Tom Turkey Platter. So from now on, I'm going to call you Baloney Slice. Um, <laughs> I thought that was good, but it seemed to be a little bit too convenient. Um, that he knew so much about how Bellana did things back in the Academy days that he was able to do stuff when he was on Equinox to get, um, the shield generator back over to the, to his ship. A little bit too convenient. There was a lot of convenience in this episode and I understand the reason why they did it, but it seemed a little bit too much at times. I wasn't a big fan of the whole BLT thing. Uh, you know, when it first happened, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Let's just create a, a way for these characters to know each other that we've never heard about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's my sweater? Where do you think it is? It's on Earth. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I tolerated that part of the episode. Ultimately, it, it wasn't enough to make me hate it. Mm-hmm. But it was. I just I was like, come on, really? I just I didn't buy into it at all. Let me ask you one other thing that I, I it seems that I've, I brought a lot of things that I didn't like. I did like the episode, and we'll get into what I really liked in a few minutes. But I didn't care for, and I'd like to get your opinion, the cheap man's holodeck. I did not think that that had any point in the story at all. I, I have to agree with you because I, I didn't, I didn't understand. Well, I could understand why Ransom would want the distraction. I didn't understand one why he had it, hmm. or two why he was all of a sudden seeing seven. Yeah. I think that might have just been his guilt because he was holding her prisoner. But still, I thought the whole idea of it, it, it kind of reminded me of of kind of like a cheap version of the game from the game episode of TNG. Plus, he seemed to be kind of addicted to it, kind of like Barkley a little bit. And it was just this cheapo version. He couldn't really yeah. do anything with it. Yeah, and we don't know if he had like some sort of you know implant to enable it, or mm-hmm. I, I thought it would have been nice if they'd called that out a little more. Yeah, maybe it was driving him a little crazy, which made him do some of these things to provide some, uh, you know, some some sort of you know the redemption later on. I don't know, right? But um, yeah, I think that there are some clear missed opportunities in this episode. That it's not by far; it is not the worst episode of Voyager by any means. No, no. It's entertaining. It, it spins a good yarn, as I like to say. Um, there are clearly things we like about it and things we don't. But I think that probably one of the most contentious parts of the episode for me is the whole Janeway Chakotay conflict. Because there are elements of this that are classic Janeway Chakotay, and then there are other elements of this that I am absolutely not comfortable with. Yeah, I would say that this is the most conflict that we've seen between these two in the entire series. I mean, we've seen conflict here and there. The Scorpion episode specifically comes to mind, but this was this was nasty conflict, in my opinion, between the two. It was something that I had never expected and never thought we would see between these two uh, characters. Yeah, Janeway, Janeway gets a little stubborn in this. A little. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you know, back when we did our first office with Thunderdome, you know, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that Chakotay was a pretty damn good first officer. 
And I think that he is incredibly admirable in this episode because he is sort of the voice of reason and the person that says, no, we must do the right thing because this is who we say we are. You know, if, if we're going to be Starfleet officers, this is what that means. And Janeway is totally off the rails. And I, I wonder if that's completely out of character for her. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting in that discussion and that tenseness. I mean, it, this is as close to yelling at each other that I think we've ever seen and ever do see in the series between the two. Um, well, no, I take that back because he actually does yell at her on the bridge later on. And um, when she's threatening to let the creature kill um, – oh, gosh, I'm, I'm getting a – blank on his name again um we talked Blessing. about him a little while yes yes um he's he's pretty much yelling at her then but it, it, the whole idea of him as the first officer pointing out Riker makes a very good analogy in in chain of command when he's going up against Jellico about it's his responsibility to point out what could be considered mistakes from a superior officer he's doing the same thing with Janeway in this episode in chain of command Jellico relieves Riker for doing that. Oh, gosh, guess what Janeway does, too? Why do they have that ability to do that if that's their job to do? Well, I think it's it's you know part you know of, of her obsession, and I think we should probably talk about that a little bit. She clearly has an obsession that is unhealthy. And in that scene where she is essentially getting ready to, to feed Lessig to the wolves, as it were, <laughs> she, she's, she's ready... She's ready to sacrifice that guy. And like Chakotay, I'm not so sure that she wouldn't have done it the way that scene was written, because I think that her obsession was blinding her that much, honestly. I, I honestly think she would have let it happen. She kept saying, he'll break, he'll break. It was getting pretty much to the point where it was coming through. He was going to be dead, and I don't think she cared. She wanted to get what she needed, and she didn't care what it was going to take. Is and that Janeway? No, well, it, it, it is, it isn't, and it is. It isn't what we're used to, but we've never dealt with a Janeway who's been obsessed before, so we don't know what could she be driven to. Well, because, I mean, even Kirk's, well, we'll talk about this a little bit with, you know, with, with Janeway versus Kirk, but Kirk's obsession was different. Picard would never have done that, ever. Cisco might have done something similar. Cisco but did something worse. Well, true, but uh, he would have gotten all yelly first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that makes it okay then. <laughs> well, uh, Cisco, Cisco did something worse, but it was still different. Whereas she was literally ready to feed someone of the wolves, Cisco was complicit in a deception that killed a Romulan ambassador. Oh, I'm not talking about that, dude. I've got a diff totally different example. Oh, which one are you talking about? He poisoned an entire planet to try to get Eddington. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's, right. One th that's that curveball I was talking about. I wanted to see what your thoughts would be on his obsession with catching Reddington, or Eddington, rather. It It's very similar to me what he does in Deep Space Nine with what Janeway does here. She's obsessed and he's obsessed because these people have gone against Starfleet and beaten them at what they are trying to do. That's why she's obsessed, in my opinion. Oh, I, I totally understand why she's obsessed. I think it rings hollow for her character because that's not who she is. I agree, but it goes back to what I said a minute ago, at least in my opinion. we don't. If somebody's pushed as far, I would never have thought that Cisco would destroy an entire planet because he's trying to get one guy, but he did. 
You know what I mean? Fair enough. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a great, it's a great debate because it's something that we don't expect. Your, 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 your comment about Kirk a little while ago and his obsession, a very different, but similar situation as well. Uh, I agree. Well, let's, let's move into our central questions now, since we've, we've talked about a lot of the higher level things since, since we're at this point and it seems sort of, you know, native to talk about it now. So, was Janeway's obsession with going after Ransom any different than Kirk's obsession was with the cloud? I think it was different, personally. Um, her obsession was, as I mentioned, because he was he did he broke his his oath to Starfleet, and he. I think the bigger reason is he kind of quote unquote embarrassed her and beat her, and she couldn't take that. Kirk's obsession was he wanted to kill the thing that killed his ship back 12 years ago. And he was going to stop at nothing until he could get vengeance in his mind for what had happened in the past. So they are different. I I think they're very different. I think that uh, while they're both unhealthy, I think it's a little easier to understand Kirk's than it is Janeway's because Kirk seems like it's within his character. Mm -hmm. Whereas to me, this just seems so out of phase with who Janeway is that it's a surprise that she becomes that obsessed. You know, she certainly, you know, was going after Chakotay as a, as a Maquis, but certainly didn't seem that upset by having to chase the guy because he also had abandoned everything that Starfleet believed in. That's a good point, yeah. But, you know, by the same token, Chakotay also didn't commit genocide. That's true, absolutely. You know, we talked a, a little bit ago about you know, how I thought it would have been nice if they turned this into a mini arc. I thought it would have been a lot better if, you know, the the Equinox crew had helped them make some upgrades to their warp core. And then they find out after the fact that the substance they're using to fuel it was actually aliens. Oh, that would and have been great. Janeway would have been potentially complicit in it unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would have been an amazing conflict. That I, I would have understood as fueling that obsession with going after him. With this, it's like, ah, you know, you crapped on the uniform. I'm coming to get you. You know, I, just until just a moment ago when you said something, I've thought that that was one of the largest um, reasons for this obsession of hers. But I completely didn't take into account the whole genocide thing. That's a very important, I think, for her because that's something she. I don't think she would ever have done. Now, oh, it's only one murder if we let the crewman get killed by the alien tongue in cheek, but I don't think she would have, I don't, I don't think she would have ever, uh, that would not be the Janeway I would expect that would have allowed that to happen on her ship. Do you think that she would have pursued him to the negligence of other things on her ship? Like she did in this episode? If, if to, to get ransom, if it continued? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. She, okay. uh, I could, I could, I thought that watching her, um, in this, in part two, she would have done anything, um, to get him, no matter what the cost. Uh, yeah, I'd firmly believe that. Okay. Yep. So a second question, as far as our uh, our central questions for this particular episode, we've talked a little bit about Ransom, how he's a different breed of captain. You know, in the episode, it's revealed that he sort of let the chain of command go, you know, as his officers talk to him on a first name basis instead Rudy. of by rank. Yep. Yeah, Rudy. <laughs> Rudy, Rudy. Um, you know, there's he, he talks about, you know, well, we're a long way from the Alpha Quadrant, and those rules don't seem to make sense out here. Was he justified in any of that? No. 
I mean, I can pretty much say that without, without skipping a beat. He was not justified to kill other life forms in order to get a speed bump home. No way. Uh-uh. I would never say that he would be justified. Janeway never had to do that. They found other ways to get those speed bumps to get home. Take, take the genocide off the table for a second. You know, let's, let's examine the, the other aspects of it. You know, he's essentially writing his own rules for his ship. Mm-hmm. It, it, that doesn't seem like a good thing. And perhaps it got them into this mess to begin with. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have any protocol to fall back on, and you're just making things up as you go, that's a recipe for disaster, I think, especially if you've been trained for so long to have those rules in place and to have that protocol and the guidelines of Starfleet. If you don't have anybody out there policing you, you, who knows what can happen? And I think that that's ultimately what happened. You know, I think of other Starfleet captains and and the way that they've interacted with their crews. I mean, you know, famously, there's there's Kirk as sort of the hero uh, of sorts, and there's Picard as sort of the uh, the explorer you know, and in the finale, you know, he wished he'd been a little closer to his crew the whole time, or at least played poker a little more. And, and there's Cisco, who clearly has affection for his crew, but keeps them at an arm's length. And, and even Janeway, who, who doesn't allow herself to, you know, maintain, she has some closeness with the crew, but it's not anything near what Ransom has. I mean, yes, the Voyager is alone in the Delta Quadrant, or they thought they were. <laughs> and she still has that that distance that a captain we get the sense should have. It it makes me wonder at what point he abandoned that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we never get a we never get a specific time frame of how long they had been doing this, do we? In this episode, no. They've killed. I think they said they killed what twenty three. I've, something, I, yeah, I something like that. look back. So, so obviously it's been going on for a while. That, that brings up another question. How, how much space, if they've been speed bumping themselves up, you know, so many thousands of light years, these aliens are still tracking them this far ahead. That's a pretty vast amount of space that these aliens are, are, uh, are out there and possibly away from their realm, even if it is in another dimension. Well, and did they think at some point they weren't going to have to pay the piper? Yeah. You know, yeah, what were they going to do? Make it all the way home and say, hey, Starfleet, we're being chased by these aliens. Help us. Oh, yeah. why are they, why are they out to kill you? Yeah. Then they'll have <laughs> oh, the whole human race right there if they get home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at some point, did they think that this wasn't going to end their careers and possibly their lives? And I think that's one of the hard things I have a hard time grasping. You know, what point did they say, oh, this will get us home? Yeah. Did they think their lives were ever going to be the same after that? I think the I think the short sightedness of wanting to get home blinded them to everything else. Uh, to the nth degree, and almost to an unbelievable degree. Yeah, yeah. That everybody on board was okay with murdering this species to get a little extra warp speed to get past warp eight. Yeah, that's one of the other things that I found hard to believe was that every single crew member was on board with doing what they were doing. You know, at one point. Um, the, the ensign, whose name I keep forgetting. God, Maria. why do I do that? Maria, yeah. You know, she asks if she can do some of the, the work on Voyager and cites PTSD, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting because you could tell on some level that maybe she's not as comfortable with all of this. But yet at the end, goes right back to it and right. yet has another redemption at the end when she helps Ransom. Right. Yeah. She basically, you know, was she faking that just to, so that she could get in with the Voyager crew so she could do what she needed to do for Ransom? It didn't seem it, 
But then when she does what she does at the end, you kind of got to wonder. I agree. Yeah. Well, then, Dan, we're left with one big question, which for me is really the big, the major one of the episode. You know, you and I have watched a lot of Star Trek over the years. We've seen a lot of how officers interact. We've seen a lot of how captains act. And we've seen times when captains have not put on their best. And I guess my question is this. Given everything that happened, especially after the incident with Lessig in the cargo bay, should Janeway have been relieved of her command by Chakotay? I'm not saying create a mutiny like Janeway suggests later mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. but should he have relieved her of command? Based on what we know about Starfleet and how things should be done, absolutely. She was not of sound mind. And I think that it's his job. He has the right to do it. Uh, and he has the uh, um, the means to do it. I believe he should have. Unfortunately, he never got the opportunity because she relieved him first, which, you know, that's, you know, that could be a, you know, titter tat argument um, who did it first. But um, you got to wonder if in a situation like that, would it have been something that could have happened had there been a third party in the room, like the doctor? I mean, the doctor can relieve, but at that point, was it the bad doctor or the good doctor? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, I totally believe that Chakotay would have been well within his right as first officer of the Voyager to relieve her based on her erratic behavior. You know, I wonder why Chakotay didn't go to the rest of the senior staff and say, guys, look, because hmm. Riker does that in TNG early on. Yeah. You know, is it Lonely Among Us, I think it is? Or uh, I'm sure if I have the episode name wrong, somebody's going to let me know. But, you know, he essentially says, look, the captain, I think, is not right. We yeah. got to do something. Yeah. Why, it makes me wonder why Chakotay, as, as steadfast as he was with, you know, doing the right thing in this episode, why did he not assemble the senior staff and say mm-hmm. the captain is not of right mind? Mm-hmm. She's potentially going to get us all killed. What We should relieve her of command. I thought it was also very interesting in that same vein is that Chakotay, uh, I'm sorry, Tuvok even backed off right away when Janeway started giving him lip later on after he re- after she relieved Chakotay. It was like, hey, you know, I just had this argument with Chakotay. Do you want to join him? And he shut right up. And I'm like, what? And, you know, there's there's a there's a level of uh, of chain of command that you're going to have with your captain, but Tuvok of all people should have seen what was going on and, and been able to do something. As chief of security, I think it would have been in his place as well to do something about it. I agree entirely. In fact, that scene rubs me the wrong way even worse than you know some of the other scenes with Chakotay. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, again, we go back to, yes, Janeway is obsessed, but I think it is so characteristically or uncharacteristically obsessed that it just it doesn't make sense to me in the scope of this script. Yeah. I think they said, well, oh, let's have an episode where Janeway is, you know, essentially, you know, that looking for the fugitive, you know, where she, <laughs> where she's Tommy Lee Jones, essentially, <laughs> yeah. and, and is hunting this guy down no matter what. And I just, I don't think it works for this character, given how compassionate she is and how emotional she is, because, I mean, she carries a lot behind that, that veil, that mask that she wears on the bridge. I just I understand that she's she's mad. There are plenty of times where she's been pissed off, but this whole attitude for me, I just it really rubs me the wrong way in this episode. It's funny because I think that's one of the reasons I liked it so much is because it was so not what you expect. 
And even though you can say, yeah, but if it's not what you expect, then how can it be believable? Obsession. I mean, you're, you've been obsessed with me. I know how you can act. So, you know, <laughs> when you've got something going on that you're that nuts about making sure you take care of, who knows how you're going to act. And I thought that was great that they had that Janeway change so abruptly and such a 180. And it completely, in my mind, strengthened the entire second part of this episode to the point where it was believable. And one of the things that I wanted to point out was at the end of the episode, you could tell that Janeway knew how ridiculously wrong she was. That final scene where they were talking and the look on her face, you knew that she knew she had made a horrible mistake and she instantly regretted it. I thought that one scene spoke volumes. That scene was really good, but I, I it it made me even more frustrated. Really? Because yes, because everything is set back to normal and we're off for more adventures next week and there was no lasting repercussions. Well, that's true. There was never anything that was said about it again. Um, but right. you got to wonder if maybe future episodes, her decisions were based on what she did wrong. And this one, of course, we never get that specificity, but who knows? The scene with the dedication plaque is really good. And both Kate and Robert do a fantastic job with that scene. Yeah. I just... I. Uh, I, I just, I don't think there's enough of a mea culpa on Janeway's part. I mean, I think this is one of those episodes that you and I rarely will have to agree to disagree on because I just, I, there are things I just, I can't get past as far as Janeway because I just, I think there's so many things that are just antithetical to her character. And I think that's, I think that's one of the coolest things and why this is one of the best discussions I think we've had. It's not often that we have, I don't want to say disagreement. That's really not the right word, but it's yeah, really yeah. intriguing conversation. I think this is cool. I think it's great. You know, other captains have had obsessions and they've still fallen in line with who they are as people. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't see her going off the rails like this. And now, don't get me wrong. Jamie's a good captain. I mean, it's taken me 20 years to be able to say that <laughs> as I've gone through and I've rewatched some Voyager. You know, Janeway is a is a good captain. She's an even better scientist. But I just, uh, I don't know, just this episode and me. Eh. We're going to have to have a very, uh, definitely going to have to have a conversation about the Cisco Eddington thing at some point. Yeah, because honestly, until you mentioned it, I had totally mind blanked on the fact that it happened. But you're 100% right. And I hadn't even thought of the whole uh, Romulan senator thing until you mentioned it. And then I said, no, I'm talking about this. So we got some good conversations coming up. Cisco, remarkably flawed and complex. Yes. Um, but, you know, Janeway still seems very different. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Absolutely. Yeah. If this were Cisco in this episode, I would get it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah. You know, I did now kudos to to Kate Mulgrew because with everything they gave her, she she nailed it. She really does. Yeah. She she knocks this episode out of the park. She uh, I can't give her more credit. She is an amazing actor. She does great. Robert Beltran goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with her the whole way. Mm -hmm. People who complain that Chicote does nothing have not watched Equinox nearly enough that's true. because he not only meets her level of you know of of uh of seriousness and and forthrightness but he even goes past her because you know, he's trying to do what's right it's not often that you see in star trek a first officer and captain go nose to nose and both of them hold their ground and Absolutely. he does a good and you can understand every word he says in this one 
<laughs> Chakotay's day. <laughs> so yeah, if, if you're going to watch Equinox, especially you know, whether you watch it before or after this, this podcast episode, pay special attention to those scenes with Mulgrew and Beltram yeah. and, and Mulgrew and, and, uh, and, and Captain Ransom. I mean, because they're really good. The conversation they have in the briefing room when she realizes what he's done mm. is, is fantastic. It is. You know, especially when he leaves the room. Can I say one thing about the conference room? Yeah. This is totally not related to the episode at all, but I've noticed this, and I noticed it in this episode. And other, That conference table is the worst conference table I have ever seen in any TV show ever. It is so awful. It's so <laughs> awful. <laughs> how, do you, how do you really feel about it? I, mean, I don't like it. Words. I don't like it too much. <laughs> don't mince words, Bones. What are you what are really... You? <laughs> Very nice. Very well done. Oh, I hate that line. <laughs> Dan, <sighs> something we'd really love is our friends in the band Five Year Mission. Without them, this podcast would sound a whole lot less fun. Their music is amazing and incredible. They're creating an original song for every episode of Star Trek. And by that, I mean the original series, which has come to be known now. Um, we love them. They're working on year four right now. We hope everybody heads on out to fiveyearmission.net, scores themselves some albums, and you know, get on their mailing list or whatever, or follow them on Facebook and Twitter. You got to find out, you know, keep it tabs on year four because it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I, I, I want it now. Guys, hurry up. Let's get the stuff done, will you? I know, right? I, really, I know. But, and you know, it's, we're talking Voyager. You know, we're talking five year mission. I got to tell you about the latest episode. Because you know I love to do this. I know. I've, I've heard. It's another episode from Voyager, and it's a fourth season episode. It really wasn't great, though. It was you know, quite unremarkable, to be honest with you. Or is that unrefarkable? Anyway. Um, oh, yeah, God. sorry. Well, Chakotay falls in love with this band member whose chemistry is such that people forget about him after only a few hours. No technology can scan him, and no technology can save his famous drum solos. It, it, it's a story of love, and it's a story of tragedy. And in the end, it really is unfarkgettable. I, I just, I, I don't have words. I um, two farks and one. That was pretty good. You got to admit. So here's <laughs> what I want to know. Chakotay is in love with Fark in this episode? Is that what we're saying? Everybody's in love with Fark at some point in their lives. You got to admit. That's a nice, effective dodge, Senator. But (laughs) are you saying that Chakotay and Fark have fallen in love in this episode? Is that what I'm getting here? I've told you all of these episodes are in like a different, you know, universe. It's kind of like a mirror universe thing. So anything is possible. Play timelines. You'll find out. Well, anyway, um, Farkisms aside, please head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Score yourself some amazing music. Seriously, you'll love it. You'll become a f- just as big a fan as we are. Dan, our iTunes subscribe and review campaign rolls on in this last quarter. Um, we've been fortunate enough to give away three Amazon oh. gift cards, and we're going to give away a fourth one for 25 bucks. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty all, easy, too. Yeah, all people have to do is write a review for the podcast on iTunes, and um, you can go to trekgeeks.com slash 
iTunes for more information. I had to think about it there. I was going to say, did you forget what that was for a second? (laughs) I did. It's it's trekgeeks.com slash iTunes. You can get all the details. But uh, seriously, every with every review and rating, it helps people find our podcast. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do because we have such a great time doing this and we get so much great feedback from everybody. And uh, and we we seriously can't thank everyone enough. So Dan, next week... Next we week. got something really cool coming up, a fan favorite, if you will. <laughs> yes. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it's uh, it's time to kick off another great See It or Skip It episode. We love doing these, and people love listening to them. So uh, we figured, you know, this year is the 30th anniversary of The Next Generation, and we plan on hitting every season uh, for See It or Skip It uh, this year. So next week, we're going to tackle season two with our good friend, Rick Tatro. Uh, Rick's one of the hosts on a variety of shows on the Simply Syndicated Podcast Network, and uh, we're just thrilled that he's going to come over to Trek Geeks to uh, talk some See It or Skip It. So, Bill, brush up on Season 2 for next week because it's going to be a S-I-O-S-I extravaganza. I uh, can't wait. Rick is such a great guy. Remember, I was on his podcast back when the uh, fan film guidelines were announced, and mm. he was so gracious to have me on. I had a great time. Looking forward to uh, returning the favor next week. So that's uh, definitely one to tune in for. Nice. <laughs> nice. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, we want everyone to head over to treknews.net. Of course, online, at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 92 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. So I'm going to I'm going to do a little change of Captain Ransom's quotes in the episode to end the show. Okay. So it's easy to cling to principles when you're standing on a vessel full of coconuts manned by a crew that's not starving. I just like the way he said starving in that, so I wanted to <laughs> Uh, what is it with you? It wasn't a good impersonation, but it was fun. Coconut. Bing bong. I'm still on a Patriot high. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been uh, eight days. It has, and it, uh, so, well, seven, seven-ish, seven, eight. Yeah, eight. it's been eight. It's see, I, I've lost track of time. It's just been. It was just the most phenomenal thing ever. So, <laughs> so can I tell you a funny story? Um, I can only imagine because yeah. I know you yeah, okay. and I know what a diehard fan you are. And I can imagine <laughs> how much the first three and a half quarters must have been the worst day of your life. <laughs> it was just a, a pit of despair. So I've told you the story about how we burned a jacket a couple of years ago to ward the demons from the giant losses. Yes. Well, this time we burned the Hawaiian Patriot shirt that I was wearing on the last Super Bowl loss when Wes Welker dropped the pass that would have sealed the victory. So we burned that. We had a little ceremony had a great time had a little shrine for for the game we had all my banners hanging at my sister's house and we were having a great time and then the game started 
And then it wasn't a great time for three quarters. It was decidedly not a great time. It was not a great time. So we're sitting there at halftime and I'm sitting with my wife and everybody's just kind of gloomy. And she looks at me and she goes, how you doing? I said, well, at least I'm not nervous because <laughs> I was not feeling good. But I never said it's done. Never said they're over. So, of course, then the comeback starts. And that was just phenomenal. My brother-in-law and I, my brother actually wasn't feeling that great. So he left, he and his fiance left, uh, and my niece, my nieces left. And so basically all that was left was myself, Sue, my sister, Alex Trebek fan, and my brother-in-law. So <laughs> we're sitting there watching the game and it's just getting, oh my God, oh my God. Okay. One more, one more, do a stop, turnover, boom, boom, boom. All these things are happening. Chris and I start getting superstitious because that's what we do. So we're rubbing the banners every play and this, that, and the other thing. Well, they finally score and tie it. And then in overtime, they win it, which was just unbelievable. We are sitting there. Well, I'm not sitting there. We're in the living room jumping around like freaks going to hug each other and he comes across to hug me and he punches me dead in the nose right cross I got blood coming out of my nose and I'm like yeah I didn't even care so I took the I took some tissues and I cleaned up my face those tissues are now sealed in plastic and in oh. an envelope and oh. will be burned at the next Super Bowl <laughs> Oh my, what is it with you? Superstition, baby. It gets us five championships. <laughs> I, so you have taken these bloody Kleenex. Yes. Hashtag bloody Kleenex. <laughs> and you put them in a Ziploc bag for yeah. next year? Yeah, well, yeah, because it's the Blitz for six. I, <laughs> Dude, whatever works. You've you got to so believe. I am so glad I don't watch football with you. <laughs> I can only imagine what you'd be saving for the next one. We'll just have to find out, won't we? No. <laughs> it was, oh my God, it was, I didn't go to bed till like three that morning because I just, I was just, we were just so excited. It was so great. I uh, I wish you could, you know, have some feelings about this one way or the other. You machine, <laughs> you automaton. Yeah, well, maybe we can post congratulations to the Atlanta Falcons early. Uh, okay, so I was so <laughs> pissed off during that game that by the end of the of the third quarter, I yeah. was like, the Falcons have won this. It's yeah. over. Nobody comes back from this. And it's not that I didn't believe. It's just that I've seen that Tom Brady before Yeah, where he's trying too hard and where Josh McDaniels calls a horrible game. And I don't mean to descend the outtake into NFL talk because I'm sure it's going to turn off a lot of people. But you know what always brings it back? What's that? One for the Stop it. You stopped it with the Super Bowl. Sorry. I'm happy. All right. It's out of my system now. I've been waiting a week to tell you that story. (laughs) You could have told me that at any point. No, Um, I wanted to share it with our 12 people who listen to the podcast. (laughs) Wait, wait, our audience went up? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You need a minute? You need to be alone? No, I'm good. After and and on top of everything else, I was sick as a dog this past weekend, uh, and then I had to shovel out 18 inches of snow this morning because we had like a little kind of mini blizzard last night. Wow. Yeah. We uh, we didn't get nearly all that much snow. We only had about six, seven inches here. We got another foot coming in a couple of days too, so it's been fun. Yeah, and I get to talk to you, so I'm just having a great day. Wow. Uh, really? Yeah. Really. I'm just writing your intro real quick. <laughs> I can't wait now. 
I can't wait to hear it. So what's what's Fark doing giving us a hard time about watching Voyager while you were having your work day from home? Um would you watch Voyager if you didn't have to? Uh, that's gonna have that's gonna cause an imminent Farkism. Uh, Voyager version. I, I gotta say, um you mentioned was it last week, you know, uh, that you don't watch Voyager on H and I. Uh, yeah, I have been. You don't watch TNG and D- <laughs> Oh, so you lied. No, I don't think no, I no, 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 no. I think we'll so have you're, to you're we'll lying McLyerson. We'll have to re-listen to that because TOS and TNG are on early and we're not ready for bed by then. So when DS9 and Voyager are on, I have been watching. You have to re-listen to that? So you now you're also creating verbs? Uh, whatever. To prove you wrong, I will create whatever I need to create, sir. <laughs> Mon frere. <laughs> How about an attitude that helps put out a successful podcast? <laughs> I'm in a real good mood. Oh. It's the first I can time think everything. of five reasons why, too. I'm sure we're going to hear from Boss Gags people at some point. <laughs> that was all you. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> all right, you ready to do this? Yes, sir.